in a really incredible place, super positive. Um, we've got five amazing female GMs, one male, Antonio's just joined us. So we're there in place, they're building their teams out. There's a real positive energy at the moment about the next generation coming in. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. Oriel Frank, I'm here today with you. And you know, not only were you co-founder of Elemis, you are also Chief Product and Sustainability Officer, which I've managed to say without getting it wrong. Absolutely, and it's <laughs> lovely to be here too. So, you know, really, really great. Fantastic. Well, here, we're here in your offices in Baker Street as well. So, yes. um, you know, we're surrounded by wonderful products. And may I say, I am a very, very loyal customer myself. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, it's brilliant to be able to sit down, talk about your journey, where mm -hmm. life started for you and, and kind of, you know, how you've ended up with this huge global business um, and all the reiterations that you've gone through with that. Yes. So, can we start with your journey, Ariel, if that's okay. Yes. I mean, look, I, I was born in Canada. Uh, my parents went there from Holland. It was the land of golden opportunity. And I was born there, felt very Canadian, uh, but came to England uh, where my grandmother lived um, when I was five. And so really, I feel I'm a Londoner. Uh, you know, live in West London. Uh, I've got three boys. Uh, my husband gave up his job to, to look after the boys whilst I sort of expanded my career. And I went to school, a fairly ordinary lifestyle, you know, life, I went to school in Ealing. Um, but you know, when I was at school, I, I, I ended up really not finding my feet at the beginning, you know, and it's interesting when you look back on it now. You know, I, I did my GCSEs and I did well in certain subjects and the school said, you've got to do these subjects that you've done well in. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to actually do physiotherapy. I wanted to work with people hands-on. And they were like, physiotherapy was not considered a career, really. Mm. And it's interesting how you're then told, well, no, you can't do that, actually, because you have to do biology. We don't do biology. Uh, we do zoology and botany. So you'll have to do something else. So I kind of went down this route, got, the, got my A-levels. They weren't great. Um, which wasn't a good story, and off I went to retake college. So, where I met the other co-founder, Sean Harrington, uh, also retaking. Um, and we went to Hoban for a year and had a lot of mutual friends. And I then managed to get into Kingston University now uh, <laughs> to do a four-year degree in business. And it was amazing, actually, if I look back on it. At the time, I was like, it was very broad. Mm. You know, you did everything from advertising through to psychology. I was doing it with French, so I went to Montpellier for three months and did business in French. But even that was an experience living with a French family. But the best thing about that was that there was two six-month placements. And the first one, I went to Toronto, went back to Canada, um, and I, started, I was doing banking. Uh, I was right at the top of one of the towers overlooking the lake. And I was like, money and me don't go together. I have no interest in making millions through banking. It just, I was more interested in the share certificates and the design of the Disney mm. shares, thinking, oh, they're beautiful. And then I was moved into the research, and I thought, that's interesting, researching. I loved learning about a company, what made it thrive, what was it doing well. But seeing those guys in the stock market and learning the stock market trade was like, no not for me. So I learned that's not the route I'm going to go. 
back to university another year, then another six months. And this time I stayed in the UK and worked for, a, a, in those days it was called a promotions company, one of the top, it was kind of the new thing to do, leading agency, arrived, it's a six month placement, paid placement, and I walk into a room that's full of smoke and they're all puffing away. And they're like, you are on the Marlboro Lights account. And I'm like, I'm not a smoker, but my dad's anti-smoking, having been a smoker. And I literally, the brief was, we're going to get younger people smoking through discos and pubs and quizzes, and we're going to get a younger audience into smoking. And you know, my heart went, oh my God, this is just so wrong. And then it was put on Carlsberg Special Brew, similar thing. We're going to collect ring pools and get them to wear cool, trendy outfits. So they've got to drink a lot of Special Brew to get their cool, trendy things. So I kind of came away. They offered me a job at the end of my degree. Would have been an amazing job, really well paid. And I turned it down and said, I can't work. I could work for them as, a, as, as an amazing agency, but if I get put on an account and said, well, I'm, that's the account you're working on, and I don't necessarily believe in that brand, that's not going to work for me. So I declined it and went traveling. <laughs> <laughs> and we set off three girls off through India on our own, trekking through Nepal up to Kathmandu, uh, across Thailand, through Indonesia, overland. Uh, ended up in Australia with like 25 pounds in our pocket and went to work. Even those things, I went to work for a, a warehouse and really understood that, you know, every person should be valued. You know, we were treated pretty badly in the warehouse because we were the menial, you know. And I was like, you know what, everyone deserves to be, say hello and how are you? And it taught me a lot, you know, to, to whatever level, whatever you do, you respect those people. Spent over a year and a half in, in Australia, travelled all over, worked, travelled, worked, travelled, and then came back via Thailand, and maybe it's a bit of that physiotherapy. I thought, actually, I'm free now. My friends had gone back. I'm going to go and study traditional Thai massage. And I went up to Chiang Mai for six weeks, and I learnt the art of Thai massage, which was amazing. So then uh, my mum was like, oh, when are you coming back? You know, so eventually came back and needed to get a job. And uh, Sean Harrington, the, the other co-founder, he was busy working with his father in beauty. And his father had already introduced me to beauty in the first time around. He ran an amazing salon in Mayfair. Um, and I did my Saturday job there. And I contacted John Harrington and he, he gave me a job down the road from where my parents were living. And that's, that was my second you know, introduction to beauty. And he, he was a distributor of beauty products. Um, and I worked for him for a while, and then the company changed hands, and Sean was, went to the LMS team that were just starting up. So Linda Steiner, who mm. was still, um, is, is, was the founding co-founder um, and investor, uh, she had this vision uh, with a, a guy called Jan Kuzmarek, who was the formulator. And Sean joined to be kind of the sales side of things. Uh, Noella Gabrielle joined from a training treatment development point of view and then I joined from a brand marketing point of view. Very, All very young, the three of us. And within about three years, um, Noelle, um, Linda Steiner retired uh, and we were really going, what are we gonna, where's the future? Where should this brand go? And it was, it was such an amazing time because it was like blank sheet of paper 
we're going to change the logo, we're going to rebrand, we're going to change the, the products, the packaging, literally everything. I remember launching it, it was called the New Vision of LMS. And it took me three years to work with the team and everyone, you know, choosing the logo. I remember Sean and I, six months of, no, tweak that, change that, tweak that. And we really set about trying to build this brand from, from the ground up. Um, there's probably a couple of products still from there from the very beginning, but the rest have all been created mm. since. And, you know, really my heart was in the world of product development, more from the, the look and feel, the colours, the, 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 every little bit of the detail, the formulation, did it work? Noello and I would always work in tandem. Do you like it? Use it. Even today, we're still testing product. And she, we'll, we won't always agree. And she'll push it further one way, and I'll push it maybe in the packaging side. So formulation, product, brand, story. And really, I think that's what's been incredible over the last 30-odd years that we've been here, that the three people are still involved today, still shaping, still making sure it's, it's kept within bringing in the next generation. And, and that's where we're at now with, you know, the GMs coming in. And so, so brand, MPD, uh, product development. We've been through, uh, obviously, four different owners. So we were privately owned by, by the Steiner family, who sold to a NASDAQ company. And that was really, that was a big change, mm, you know. Every quarter reporting to the stock exchange <laughs> in America. So, yeah. you know, we learned so much that way. Um, and then after that, private equity. They sold the whole group to a private equity in America. They wanted us to relocate in America. Um, by that point, I had three children and I said, you know what, I'll commute. I won't disrupt my family. The whole team moved. My whole team moved from Baker Street here to, to, to New York. And I commuted one week. Uh, every month for two years. Um, so brand was there. Private equity, we went through the private equity world, which we'd never been mm. through. Um, and then they sold to Lotstown Group for $900 million. It was probably one of the biggest deals out there in beauty mm. at the time. It was incredible. And it was, you know, that whole process was just I think, you know, to learn that, to be there, to be at those sales meetings, you know, there, were, there was so much we learned when you're, you know, meeting all these different companies and you're pitching. Um, but I, I have to say, when Lotstown Group announced that they were going to acquire us, that really was, I, I just felt it was the right fit. Mm. You know, I felt that we could continue on our roles, whereas with some companies, as you know, it, it all changes. So here we are today, you know, in, in under Lotstown Group, um, still very independent. Mm. You know, they give us a huge amount of independence. But I think the one thing that did change for me was back in, um, well, when Lotstown took over, um, I became managing director of the UK. Uh, Noella was managing director of America. She moved to New back to New York, where she'd spent a year in her childhood days. And Sean went to set up the whole of Asia, APAC, China. And so he relocated um, in that region of the world. So we were all actually disparate, you know, in different places, but all doing our bit. Um, so that was a big step up. MD, never been an MD before, 
you know, number crunching, P&L, that was a big <laughs> change for me. But I wanted, to, I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to push myself. So I really, really enjoyed it. Um, a year in, COVID hit. So March, whatever it was, 2020, mm. I remember walking down the corridor, closing everything down, sending everyone in taxis with their chairs and their laptops and their screens. They all left. We said, we'll be back in two or three weeks. But, you know, the next six months was about 50% of redundancies. Um, it was about really shoring up this business to survive. We went in survival mode. But there was another offsetting of that terrible time. We were still doing product development. The labs still could operate. We didn't lose a day of manufacturing and we didn't do a, lose a day of distribution, which is quite incredible. Oh, amazing. At, at no point did it ever shut. Um, the postman must have thought I was deal dealing with something, you know, because every day there'd be another box and we were testing and everything. The, my lab was at home. Um, but it was amazing. And Sean said, you know, you, we're never going to get this time again. It, this is unique. Why don't we sit down and, as a team and say, what, what should we do now? What, what, what's our ambition? And we created something called Mission Possible. And it was a six-page deck that we pulled together between all of our teams inputting that were still working. Bearing in mind, 50% of the company was, was laid off or furloughed and unable to work because of our spa business, our retail business, yeah, our cruise ship business, 50% gone. There was only online and only TV shopping still working. But we put together this six-month agenda of all the amazing things we could do. Could we set up a virtual consultation? Could we rebrand our website. Could we open up 18 websites, which we did 18 countries in six months? Could we look at a retail store concept? What would that look, look like? So we had this kind of like, we continue to work flat out on Mission Possible whilst navigating, are we coming back? Are we not? When are we coming back? You know, all of this. I mean, I literally had my boys driving down to the warehouse because they'd run out of masks so that we could continue distributing because they didn't have masks. But, you know, lots of things for various reasons changed and Noella came back from, from America, she was here and she took over the reins back again because that's what her forte is. And I was given this amazing opportunity to spearhead sustainability. Um, and I wasn't sure because at the time I was like, you know, I wasn't wanted to be an MD for five years. You know, this was the plan. <laughs> That's not where I, I was thinking of going. And um, I sort of went out to a few mentors. And you can imagine it. Brexit was about to hit. We were in the middle of COVID. So it wasn't exactly normal MD role. You know, mm -hmm. it was more about navigating a pretty rocky time. And Lots Town Group said, we want somebody to champion at board level sustainability. Um, and I thought, should I do it? And you know, talked to quite a lot of people. And actually, you know, there was a lady called Tracy Woodward, and, and she really did change my mind. And I thought, actually, I can keep learning and do something really worthwhile. But I said to Sean, I, I need to go back to college. I don't know enough about this. I don't feel to take on that role. I have enough authority. So I spoke to a few people in that industry and in that area of business and was advised to go and do Cambridge University, um, which again, for me to go back to studying, <laughs> eight week course and do the day job five days a week. So, you know, my poor husband, thank God he was there, but it was intense. 
but it was the best feeling because by the end of that eight weeks I had my roadmap. That's really what it was. It was like looking at your business from outside and saying what should you be doing? Putting that together as a, as a, as a case for your CEO and saying why is it important? And then literally it was down to what five people are you going to call on Monday? And I literally had to had it down like that. And I'd say, you know, it was funny having just come back from COP last week. I, I said, you know, that's when my new job started. Mm. And I'm, I'm learning it every single day. But I've loved that. I've loved that sort of opportunity to, to go and learn about an area that I've always been super passionate. I was always the one championing charity. We've always, whether it was breast cancer now or, you know, um, working with individual charities, yeah, I would always felt that we had to give something back. But, you know, lots of time, Rainer Geiger said, you know, I want you to profit is here. And I remember him saying profit is not a dirty word. If we don't make profit, we don't have a business and we don't have people employed. So profit is good but profit allows us to do good things. So you need to put planet and people alongside that. Um, and we even changed our articles of association for, for B Corp to say that we no longer are just a profit company. We are about planet and people at equal level. So it was a real, real turning point for me. Um, and, you know, obviously we still continue to, to do the products and test them and make sure they're up to our standards and you know at the brand at a very high level you know we'll, we'll look at things and say if we feel that they're right or wrong but that you know there needs to be that next generation and I think as a marketeer as well you didn't really I felt that I couldn't I did as much as I could to learn digital and I felt I knew enough but I didn't really understand enough about TikTok strategy or you know, social strategy or websites and, and how they work. And I felt, you know, they really need that. You need to let go sometimes and bring in somebody who's amazing at that, as long as it's still communicating the right story. So it's been a lot of letting go, letting things fly, letting other people come in that can take it to the next level and, and hopefully still keeping that culture of quite a family environment here, care, everyone caring about each other, uh, but still incredibly ambitious. Mm. So yes, it's been, you know, obviously we then negotiated through COVID, um, come out the other end of it all. I would say we were in the best shape ever. You know, we're in a really incredible place, super positive. Um, we've got five amazing female GMs, one male, Antonio's just joined us. So we, they're in place, they're building their teams out. There's a real positive energy at the moment about the next generation coming in. And, you know, Sean, myself uh, and Noella really here to sort of guide, mentor and ensure it doesn't get too off-piste and stays within a few guardrails, but stills allow, still allows it to flourish you know and 110 countries now I mean it's huge it's phenomenal phenomenal yeah. I mean what what a journey you've yeah. been on you know when you when as you're talking I mean probably even yourself you're going wow <laughs> there's a lot there's yeah. a lot in this uh, 30 years in yeah. this business and as you were as you were talking the thing I was reflecting on was just how much even because you could say 30 years in one business 
But actually, it's just been constant evolution, revolution, innovation, you know, not only for you personally in terms of the roles you've done, but also, you know, the product, the brand, sustainability. So it's just been so much change through that time that, you know, 30 years probably has whizzed by in a a flash and you go, oh my gosh, here we are. How did that happen? Uh, Honestly, there has never been a dull moment. Every year you're learning something. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. But, you know, going back to to when you were starting talking about the early job you had around the marketing and and actually having to to work on a brand where you didn't share the values, let's say, um, around, you know, cigarettes and alcohol. Sounds like a cue for a song, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so you've obviously been very values led from being quite a young kind of person yeah does where does that come from do you think does that come from sort of parents does it come from you know people you've surrounded yourself with at different points of your life because i mean that that's a common thread isn't it yeah you know purpose-led value driven um brand obviously but obviously what you're doing with sustainability it all comes back to doing the right thing in the right way yeah Um, And that started way before you were even at Elemis. Yeah, I mean, I have a very unusual family to a certain degree. I mean, uh, you know, my family comes from my mother's side were bulb growers in Holland. You know, my mother said, don't say a farmer. So I thought, (laughs) he, he grew, and to be fair, he actually created new varieties. So he was a scientist of nature. And I remember going to Kokenhof when I was six. I've got a lovely picture of me with my grandfather at Kokenhof, which is the Kew Gardens of, Am- of Amsterdam, seeing his new variety of tulip that was named, I can't remember the name. He's definitely, he's, he's named uh, an iris called Professor Blau. Uh, and seeing this lady dressed up in all this outfit, pouring beer over the poor tulip. That was the christening of the of the tulip. So there was this very hard-working um, grandfather. I didn't know my, my grandmother. She sounded incredible. She actually hid uh, Jewish people in her house, and especially vulnerable women that were maybe the pregnant women. Um, and what I found out later on in life is that that was very brave, talking about bravery, mm. because it only took the neighbors next door to, to grass on you and say, they're hiding Jewish people in their house. She was Protestant. Mm. She had three young girls, and they hid numerous people. They were really good, good-hearted people. They felt they had to try and help these people that were desperate. Mm. Five months at a time, they were hidden in the loft in their house. You know, Germans would come in through the house. They would have to remain silent. The radio was hidden under the floorboards. They'd listen to the radio every night. The bombs were dropped in the gardens with the beautiful flowers being grown. But, you know, so there was that world of real humanity, mm. you know. And then on the other side, my father's side, they were the academics. They, they were musicians and academics, medics, actually. Um, one side of the family had the Eastbourne Quartet, so they were based in the UK, had come from Holland to the UK, and they were, uh, the lady was, the, one of the family was the first female conductor, wow. or conductress, yes. <laughs> and they had a quartet at the uh, Eastbourne Grand, and they were musicians and they were quite bohemian, and the other side were lawyers and medics, and that was my father's side, and they were in Holland during the war, and my grandfather, um, who I, I never met, he was involved in the resistance, 
They were non-practicing Jewish family, they were liberal, never went to a synagogue. He was in the resistance involving getting people out. Um, and he, you know, ended up being taken into prison uh, and tortured. Uh, my grandmother dressed up uh, as a cleaner and went into the prison to visit him twice, to talk to him. And then she was taken away to her first concentration camp with her three children, not knowing whatever happened to him through two years in a concentration camp. And her story is brave, beyond brave. That's why I think, you know, in terms of my bravery, I can only look at these two women who were, were that's what I call brave. And she got those three children through three different concentration camps. It's incredible, really. And how, I mean, how, all sorts of stories, and one day I will write it. But, you know, she survived, and she lived in Notting Hill Gate, and she was a tiny woman called Beatrix, and the three boys survived. Um, and I think, you know, as a child, when you grow up with those stories, you know, there's a real sense of, right and wrong mm. and um, it's interesting in today's world where we're at because you kind of think that was a one-off but it it still doesn't seem it seems terrible that all these things are still going on but you know I was very much brought up on right and wrong no religion at all this is what's right and this is what's wrong and you know it's interesting when, when I went to school I remember someone saying what religion are you and I'm like I'm Okay, I don't have a religion. And people really wanted you to say, I'm this, I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm, and I was like, I, I just have morals. I was brought up what was right and what's wrong. Mm. And that's what is, are my values. Mm. And know? that stayed with you all these years. But interesting to have such strong female role models, mm. both, both different, different sides of your family, but both living almost parallel lives, different lives, yeah. but parallel lives. Yeah. And, and like you say, you know, for, for, your, for you to have heard those stories as a kid growing up, it must have influenced you. And, and, and actually, you know, you know, women in business or women in life doing great things and really pushing yeah. out of their comfort zone. And, you know, I'm passionate about everyone should have opportunities for mm. growth, regardless of race, colour, gender, yeah. you know. And I know that you're very passionate as well about mm. diversity, equity and inclusion. So with your business journey, mm -hmm. have you had challenges over the years, would you say, being a woman in business? Or has it just never really been a thing for you because you've just kind of cracked on <laughs> and, and done, yeah. done what you're good at? You know, I, I was always a little bit of a tomboy, really. I mean, I, was, I hung out with my brother. I never really, I never wanted to sort of kind of fit into that, like, I'm female. It's just like... We've had incredible opportunities, and as individuals, we've just gone in there and we've we've just seized them and gone for them. Mm. So it hasn't really. It's not something that we talk much about. You know, I think Sean has supported us many times. On, you know, I said I want to go to COP. Will you support it? Yes, go. And then I'm going. Oh my gosh! Now I'm here. I've got to get on the stage and I've got to talk. So it's been a very supportive. You know, just go do it. You can do it. And, and I don't think we've ever had to kind of go, oh, well, you know, just because I'm female, I can't do that. You know, I think, yeah, there's been learnings, you know, when you're going through private equity, it's a very, very male world. Mm. Um, but you know what? There was two females at the board and two males at the board. So I think, you know, we've been always fairly equal. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the company is predominantly female. Mm. 
um, you know, at senior management level, all, all, all the GMs, there's five GMs and one, one um, male GM. So in, in a way, it's, it's almost flipped the other way. Yes. And yeah. I think we feel quite empowered and we feel, you know, that we, we have a voice. Mm, mm. And let's talk about COP28 because sustainability, mm. obviously, this is a big focus for you in your role um, now. Yes. And there's a lot of energy around, you know, the topic, not only because of the recency of, of you know, COP28 being in Dubai. Yeah which I know you just come back from, um, but also B Corporation status for Elemi. Mm. So, so I want to touch on both both sides, if it's okay. So the B Corporation status first, yeah. the, the roadmap for that, yes. for Elemis, what was that journey like? Was it always something you were going to do or was it, a natural, was, was it just a natural evolution based on the values and you know, what you offer in terms of the product, et cetera? And, and it's mm. difficult. B Corporation is yeah. not an easy thing to achieve by any stretch, especially when a business is of a bigger size to a yeah. certain degree because you have to mm. change processes, systems very often yeah. um, in order to, to achieve what you want to. So B Corporation status, what was that journey like for, for LMS? Well, you know, it was really that, as I mentioned, Lotstown Group saying, you know, we would like you to go for B Corp. Mm. And I was like, I'd just come across it because actually Sean gave us a book, by the Patagonia book, uh, let my people go surfing. So I had read that cover to cover, which I don't do a huge amount of reading. So, and I was like, wow! And they, you know, what they what they was really stating about repair and things like that. So I had to learn what is B Corp. Now, what we I now tell everyone is it's open source. Anyone can go onto B Corp and actually fill out and see where their score is. They will think I can't do it because it's too expensive. They can see where they are. Um, Lotstown hadn't actually gone through the process, so actually it was very interesting. We were leading. Mm. They've just achieved B Corp, but they had nine entities. We didn't have that many. What I did was I, I decided to, I couldn't do it on my own. Um, in hindsight, a lot of people now, I find out, they bring in an agency and someone comes in and does it all for them. But no, not at LMS. We were going to do it ourselves. But... Uh, a very dear colleague of mine, Kim Fenn, uh, who's worked with me for 20 years. Um, she's done everything, product development, PR, um, every aspect. She knows the business inside out. And she'd, she works as a consultant because it suits her family lifestyle. Um, so she's always dipped in and out of projects. And I went, Kim, what do you think about doing this with me? And I could see her like, I know nothing, Oriel, how can you even like, I like, well, I know nothing as well, but there'll be two of us. I said, you know every little bit about this business. You've done everything. So, you know, you have all the contacts, you can go to the right people, because that's where you have to infiltrate every single aspect of the business. So, you know, all credit to her. We had a, we had a, a, a new graduate in, uh, Chloe, as well. So I loved bringing in that next generation who'd come from St. Andrews, where they now do, you know, degrees. And she was probably four or five years in. She came and joined our team as well. And the three of us set around, you know, even starting. It's a framework. And what I do love is a bit of structure. You know, <laughs> suddenly, instead of just trying to navigate our own route through the sustainability world, it was like, oh, we have a structure. We have this incredible framework. Um, so we just literally started working through the questions. I think we scored 43 points. You have to hit score 80. So 43 is a 
okay, we've got a long way to... And what's amazing is you get the 43 points, you go, okay, what do we need to do to get to 80? In fact, we actually ended up at about 92, we, we thought, and then they go and actually uh, check every single thing. And it's quite nerve-wracking because it's like they uncover everything. Everything has to be evidence-based. So it took 18 months. It required every single department to be involved, you know, finance, the warehouse, every, changing all of our uh, job descriptions, looking, doing a survey of all our staff from a DEI point of view. We'd never, we had never done anything. You know, I hadn't even... It was only when I did that course at uh, Cambridge that I'd even heard of sustainability development goals from the Paris you know, Agreement in 2015. Um, I did get advice from a mentor, um, Phil, who said, don't just go out there and do this on your own. It needs to become part of the group. So we went out to all of the team in 2019 and said, we've never heard of the SDGs. We're now going to educate you. These are the sustainability, 17 sustainable development goals. Go and research them on the United Nations website. And you tell us which ones you think Elemis should be working with. Um, and that was like, let's empower them. And they had to vote. Mm. And we took the best the ones that they, you know, there was like uh, gender equality, quality education, responsible sourcing and production, life above land, life below water, um, climate action. They chose seven and we, we took the seven that everyone kind of mutually agreed. And that was kind of a start of collaboration. It has to be about collaboration. Um, and then we obviously then built out the, the B Corp um, Program and every, we were being, you know, checked and checked and checked, and then come January, we were so excited when we we got sort of awarded it. But you know, even now, Kim is going. We've got three years before we recertify. We're already a year, nearly a year old. Yeah. We are going to go back and tell everyone all the amazing work we've done in that year. But it doesn't stop there. You have to. I think it's you have to gain ten points more, and it gets harder and harder because you've kind of done all the things yeah. that you think you can do. So what are the next things that we have to do? Mm. Um, and there's lots of things that, you know, we're looking at the full traceability. We, you know, we've traced everything to a plant level, but what, which country, which region, what are those people paid the, right through the value chain? So, it, you know, it's, I would only, you know, I, I think it's an incredible uh, um, certification. Uh, we're part of the B Corp Beauty Coalition. There's over 60 beauty companies. We're working together. It's really collaborative. Um, and that's another area that I, I'm a massive believer in is collaboration. So I joined um, the British Beauty Council. They, they set up the Sustainable Beauty uh, Coalition. And I'm a co-chair there with Joe Chidley and uh, Mark Smith from Natru. And we head up the co-chair um, of the Sustainable Beauty Coalition. And I've just loved that. You know, I'm working with Lush, I'm working with Superdrug, I'm working with Boots, I'm working with um, all different people. And even though they're busy in their day jobs, we come together to say, what can we as a, as a beauty businesses, what can we do better? Mm. And we've, we're just, we, I talked about it at COP, we've come together on a, on a whole ambitious, very ambitious three-year programme called the Great British Beauty Cleanup and there's six task forces, and I'm learning every day. I mean, there's government and understanding the lobbying that we could do, 
There's Plastic Reduction with Sean Sutherland, who's a real sort of activist for a plastic planet. There's Reuse Refill, which would be the model of the future that we only ever had the same bottles and we just clean them and wash them and clean them. But how does that work with, with competition and making premium luxury? Then there's the, the professional area. That's the area I'm working with L'Oreal Professional at the moment, and that's fascinating. I, you know, all those foils used for hair dyeing, and you see everyone in there with their foils, only 2% are recycled. Could we get every salon bundling them together and recycling them and reusing them? Um, hair itself is a protein. It actually can nourish the soil, which I never knew. Um, then there's the retailers and the brands. I'm re working really hard with them to see how can we get retailers to take more uh, responsibility. And then the final one will be a campaign around sort of consumer education. So that I've, I'm loving that because it's kind of our own. We're all in it together. We're working together, and it's very collaborative. And, and I'm learning every single day something new. Uh, and then the CW, which is Cosmetic Executive Women, which I'm also on the board on. Um, I was working with Estee Lauder. Again, I'd never had that opportunity. Mm. And I was working with Anna Bartle, um, who's just gone to Chanel. But it was amazing it's, to, to sort of talk to her and, and understand from her what her involvement at sustainability and CSR in, in her business and share uh, our learnings and understandings. So that, that area, I feel, has really sort of enriched uh, everything that I was doing before in a very different way mm. you know I was always very behind the scenes locked away working <laughs> night and day you know I was always a late night worker always on LMS if I, I would always go home with a bundle of stuff that needed reading copy re checking writing copy coming up with a name it was intense mm. and actually having this freedom of wow we're now representing a big industry that needs to clean up its act. And, and for me, the going to COP, you know, there were, were discussions about, is it right to go? Um, I have to say, Ashling, uh, who you interviewed uh, before, she was like, well, if you're not there, you can't be a voice. And, you know, we are in a serious situation. You know, yeah, the yeah. world's in a serious crisis. And every year counts. And despite everyone's viewpoint of where it was being held or you know, who was holding it, there still, we had to be there as a voice. And I felt quite passionate about that. Um, it was interesting being there because you had the blue zone where there was all the negotiations going on. And you know, that's hardcore. That's like, you know, some things might take 10 years. It's difficult. And we were almost, I felt like we were like the activists in the green zone able to voice that we need to change now. Whatever's going on in there, we support, but it's a lot harder to get 190 countries to all sign up to one thing. But LMS, as a, as a company, can take action now, which is what my speech was about. We have to take ownership, but then also collectively as an industry, we have to take ownership. And we'll support whatever's happening in the future, but every business out there has to really reflect internally and say, am I a business as a force for good? We can be profitable, we can be doubling the growth, but what are we doing to ensure that we are really thinking about the future of this? You know, what I came away with so many people saying, I've got kids, what are my kids going to be? You know, their mm -hmm. children, you know, what will the earth be like? 
you know, and I, I know, you know, the climate change, you know, we're in it now. I mean, we're, we've slowed a little bit down, but, you know, what would happen? We'd probably adapt. There'd be mass migration. Certain areas would become unlivable. There will be adaption. But, my gosh, we can just need to reflect a bit what's happened in a very short space of time. We kind of lost control of ourselves a bit. Yeah. Um, we, we came and went into sort of mass production. We created materials, you know, that like plastic, which are incredible. They're bendy, they're light, they're cheap, but they're actually not particularly good for the environment. Mm. So it's, I felt it was, the people I met out there really reignited my energy. It's, it's a tough gig being in sustainability because, you know, you're always the one that this is going to cost us more and, you know, we've got to change this. and. And then you go back into a sales meeting and it's sales. Yeah. And no one's really going, oh, you know, what about the climate change? Um, so you have to keep very strong and keep banging the drum and making sure everyone is engaged. Everyone is engaged. So I, I, you get re-energized by everybody in that industry. because mm. you You're almost supporting each other as a sort of group. Um, and Mary Fellows, who I'd not met before, she, she's a real force to reckon with, you know, she's more involved in fashion, but she was so inspirational, you know, and, and people just encouraged me to just go for it, mm. go and speak, story tell. Um, so I was up on stage talking about um, several big projects that we're working on. We've, we, we were thrown together actually by Sean Sutherland with a, a startup in Cambridge who are researching proteins in plants to make a biofilm that will replace plastic. And our biggest problem in our industry is sachets. You know, we love yeah. to sample a sachet. So we took the plant waste material from our borage, grown up the road here, 40 miles away with fifth generation farmers. And we took the plant waste, once we've crushed our seeds, they took the waste and they found a protein that's actually very el elasticated. And they've created a sachet of pro-collagen cleansing balm. So the ingredient that's used in it has created a sachet. So I was showing them that this is possible. It's not perfect. You know, I think we're going to have to maybe put another layer of something to keep any moisture loss. But it, it's it, innovation has got to keep moving forward. So that was amazing to tell the world, you know, and hold that sachet and say, here it is. This sachet is made from borage waste, plant waste, and it's got our product in it. So that was incredible. Uh, we also were announcing that we are collaborating with the RSPB. We have uh, an amazing project. And I think this is, this is where businesses, it's like, okay, the, what's in it for LMS? Well, actually, this is about future-proofing the world. So we ha are donating money on a project uh, which is 14 acres of peatlands. I didn't realize that the 2% of the world that's covered by peatlands actually sequester more carbon than all of the forests in the world. So they are huge, big carbon sinkholes. So we're supporting a big project to reinstate this whole area that's really depleted. Um, you know, and even that whole sort of carbon credits, I was trying to get my head around. You know, we know we're creating carbon emissions. We're trying to reduce down, but we're growing our business, so we're going to continue to, you know, so how do we offset... And what are offsets? You know, if the land is lying there and it's, you, you, it's, it's like almost like a cryptocurrency. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, it's like, it's a currency. You're going to pay money for green credits. So, you know, this for me is a much more positive way where you're actually physically changing the land to do its job 
that it should be doing. It's been completely depleted. They're going to reinstate the peatlands. It's going to take 60 years. I won't even be there to see kind of the 60 year, but it, it's doing something really good for the future of the planet that that will then offset. So I think it's almost a reverse of, of what companies you know would be doing the easy way pay the money and I don't have to worry about it mm. I've offset my carbon through buying these credits that we're not really sure what they're really offsetting whereas this is about we're going to invest in completely changing this land management and restoring these peatlands back having been totally depleted um, and for the benefit of, of everyone so yeah there was there was that and then there was obviously the great British beauty cleanup that we were talking about mm. But yeah, it was, it, it's been amazing. I've had such positive feedback um, from the talk and we've live streamed it and streamed it, continued to stream it. Um, I think the timing was great, you know, it was a good time to be there. And I genuinely feel maybe it's that sort of like, it's our responsibility, yeah. you know? 100%. Um, we also talked about conscious consumerism and I kind of announced that Elemis is going to be reducing its range by 50%, which is a major statement. You know, we've just gone more, 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 more. Bigger, 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 bigger. And now we're going, actually, we don't need all of this. Let's reduce it down. Let's really sell what really works, that we, people will love that product and use all of it. So some big statements out there. Mm. Um, but I'm hoping that the rest of the industry will sit up and have a listen and go be a bit reflective and actually make some of the similar decisions. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I, I, you know, as you're talking, I think that, you know, be the change you want to see, right? right? Whether that's as a solopreneur, whether it's, you know, not even in the world of business, yeah. but if everyone does, does 1%, yeah. then, you know, that all adds up, doesn't it, yeah. incremental gains? And, and I think it's great that you're leading from the front. One, it's a natural space for you, yeah, yeah with the DNA of, yeah. the, of the organisation, etc. But I think also, you know, as you were talking, there's a big piece, there's two things that were standing out to me. One, the value of the network mm -hmm. and collaboration. Yeah. And actually, you know, you know not, not just being in your Elemis world, being mm. in that broader perspective with other beauty brands and, and actually saying, well, no, hang on a minute. If we work together, we can achieve more. Two plus two equals five. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so networking and that side of it, not just with COP, but in general for you, how mm. important has that been in your kind of career life? Is it something you've done consciously, not consciously? Um, you know, because it's so powerful. There's a yeah. phrase say, you know, your network is your net worth. And I think yeah. there's, an there's an element of truth around that. But it's not just around money. It's about learning and enriched experiences and, you know, personal mm. connections. Yeah. How important has networking been for you then, Oriel, do you think? I mean, as I said, I really only, I'd say, the last three years really went out there. Mm. I mean, we, we were known because we might have been at our own press launch or... But we didn't network. We really didn't. You know, we might have networked with the trade, yeah, at trade events and seen everyone for the old party and drinks and things like that. But actually going out there and, you know, for me doing COP, that's the second time I've done COP. But it really was triggered by the CEW and the, the British Beauty Council and Millie and um, the team. You know, I find it so enriching and so... It has totally changed my perspective mm. and I now know there's people I can pick up the phone and ask them for their advice but also the other way around you know even today someone was asking me do you have any information around different companies that collect plastics and recycle 
and I'm, I'm like, you know, share, I'll, absolutely, I'll share you. We've done some research into all the different companies. And, you know, there's this real respect and you, you, you're almost su supporting each other. Yes. So yeah. I think networking for me, I mean, I've always loved, I love people's stories. Sean used to always laugh at me because he'd say, oh, don't get on a plane with Oriel. Because, you know, before you know it, you, you know, she's got someone's life story. <laughs> But you know, <laughs> even to being in Dubai, I got in the taxi and this guy started, as he, we started chatting and I found out he was from Pakistan, he's been in Dubai 17 years and every two years he has to re renew his license to work as a taxi driver, but he's only paid a minimal amount because he's not from Dubai mm -hmm. and he, he lives in a one bedroom house with his parents, his child, his daughter and another family. Now, I mean, that was in a 20 minute ride, but I was like, wow. But his life is better in Dubai. Mm. So I am fascinated by people and I always will talk to anyone because everyone has a story and I always feel that it's, it's, it's really interesting mm. to understand where all these, this melange of people and they're all humans that started somewhere and they've come through life on their journey. Um, and I, I, I'm fascinated by that. So yeah, I suppose I've always been network, although I'm quite shy. You know, I have to, I've, I will happily talk one-on-one -on -one like this, but you know, throw me into a, a big meeting where there's 10 people, and I've had to really, you know, put, put myself out to be the person that speaks and vocalize and feel confident that I'm gonna say something that's of value, you know. So there's a sort of very, where as a child, I was very shy. Mm. I always remember just like, I can't say anything. Or thinking, I really want to say something, but I, don't, I just couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. What's um, helped you over the years then, do you think, get, get more comfortable with that, even though you probably still have those moments and, <gasps> yeah, but what, what's helped you over the years, just kind of doing more, more of it, pushing yeah, out? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just building your confidence, isn't it, mm. you know? I mean, even at COP, it was three in the morning. I was I'd written, I had to rehearse it in my head. Breathing, I'm a great, I had to just do a bit of breath work. And I genuinely believe that can get you through a hell of a lot. Mm. You know, just breathe, breathe and take your time and re try and relax, not be too nervous. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, if I look back, I, I, I used to do, I did, at school I did poetry and up on a stage and I, you know, did okay. I remember winning the cup and I was <laughs> aged eight and my parents hadn't even bothered coming to watch me. And I came home on the tube, this big box. And I said, oh, I won it. And they were like, this is at the Central School of Speech and Drama. So I was kind of like doing things like that when I was young. I was, you know, but I wasn't really fluent in in a, and maybe doing a debate, you know, debating or, you know, mm. so that bit I've had to really work at. And now part of Lockitown, mm -hmm. I've struggled to say. Lockitown. Lockitown. <laughs> Put my teeth back in. Um, obviously a, a, a huge organisation, big corporate yeah. organisation, and you, you're within that overall group. Yeah. Has that been difficult for, for LMS um, adjusting and for you personally adjusting? Because I would imagine you know, you, there are shared values. You said before it felt like a natural fit, yes. which is really important. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, it's still, you know, a big machine. 
right behind behind that yeah um, has that has that sort of put added pressure requirements on that maybe sometimes are quite difficult to deal with or, or I think so? I think we've been very fortunate because there are certain brands that are in the in the multi-brand um, they have Melvita and Emporium that are part of lots of time on Provence but they actually maybe just through learning with Elemis we were very much there was a confidence I think you know Reinhold and Sean had a mutual understanding you know the, the founders all stayed mm. you know, we've been running the business before so it was almost about what could lots of add value to us as opposed to coming in and changing us yeah. you're doing a great job what extra things can we do to help you so it's only been from from my view uh, very accretive you know everything has been like how can we help with a better education platform how can we help with better IT systems um, almost advising mm. um, so they've left us really run our own business we have our own board uh, we're on the board we present you know once a quarter and you know, they, they're more, it's more of an advisory. I think from my point of view, I've been able to really embrace their sustainability team. They've got a big team and we, we're small, but we're very nimble and we're very fast. And I think they love the energy that we've brought in um, because we're like, let's do it. And you know, when they're a bigger corporate, they've got to go through many different groups to make things happen. Whereas we're like, let's just make it happen. You know, even B Corp, they were like, wow, you guys move fast. But, you know, there was three of us on the ground. Let's get on and push and hard and let's make it happen. So, you know, there's a, there's a lady there called Raphael and she's been incredible. Everyone that I work with at Lotstown Group has only been there to support. And I feel like, especially in their, in their sort of the packaging side, I can go, so David, you know, how does this work, this lid? You know, and that I've been introduced to so many things I would never have, if I'd mm. stayed in LMS on its own, they were like, well, we're part of the Ella, Ella MacArthur Foundation. And they have a, a specific way of, uh, you know, talking what plastics are recyclable and what's not. And it's, it's all quite complicated. So they've taken the complexity of sustainability out for me because they can advise me, they can give me knowledge. They can do LCAs, which is sort of the lifetime analysis of, of, of certain packaging. So I feel like we've got our advisory group, really. That they're there to advise, mm. they're there to support, and that's really uh, been hugely beneficial. And I think it's quite unusual, because mm. from what I've heard from other, you know, situations, yes. it's, it, it can be stripped of every bit of the, the brand's DNA, and yeah. it can lose its identity very quick. Mm. Seen that, I mean, how many brands have we seen that happen Absolutely. to? Absolutely. And very often, I think, you know, what I've seen in my experience in the travel industry is whereby, you know, a large, a large group might buy a fantastic travel business and before you know it, they've destroyed the value of everything yeah. they've bought yeah. because they've tried to kind of, you know, put the big brother approach on, on, on that business and therefore it's lost its integrity, it's lost mm. the brand direction and, and the accountability. Um, and I think it's fantastic to hear yeah. that's not the case. And, yeah. and actually, it's just added and you can benefit possibly with resources that maybe LMS on a standalone basis would never have had the, mm. you know, the firepower to be able to yeah. afford of that sort of scale. So that is that is great mm. to hear. And hugely supportive, you know, mm. like Reinhold wrote to us after COP and, 
you know, saying this is, this is amazing and we had no idea that you were doing this work, it's amazing, but really encouraging. Mm. And then you kind of go, actually, you know, I couldn't have done that without you supporting us right at the beginning and, yeah. and actually championing. You know, what I do love is that, that especially, the, you know, the, that the, the owner, he genuinely wants this. Yeah. He genuinely believes that business isn't just there to mm. be a profit. Mm. And it doesn't have to be complicated, you know? And they also helped me. I didn't want to reinvent the wheels. They'd already done such incredible work. So anything I could learn from them, and they split it into biodiversity, climate, and people. And I was like, well, I'm not going to come up with three other pillars. I'm going to, I, I'm going to take from their learnings and apply the biodiversity that I can apply to LMS, apply the climate piece that I can, the carbon emission reduction and the waste, and apply the people piece to our business. And you know, we're 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 still on the on the road. You know, there's so much more that we can do, but I would I feel like I've been able to almost like kind of spearhead it because of all the work that they'd already done and I could take from those learnings in a very respectful way and and apply it to what we've got here. Mm. And you know through your career, I mean obviously you've had lots of different roles, lots of different reiterations of the product, the brand, yeah. etc. What are you most proud of, do you think? <sighs> Gosh, what am I most proud of? Well, look, I'm incredibly proud that hopefully we've created a brand that will continue way past my lifetime and hopefully continue to make people feel good about themselves and bring joy to them, you know, to, to how they feel, how they look. So I'm very, very proud that, you know, we have created a brand that, that is, is a global brand. British beauty brand. I mean, that's in itself is huge. Mm. I think from a product point of view, um, the the cleansing balm and the, and the marine cream. You know, people talk about icons, and you know, we can look at other brands and say, look, that's their icon, that's their icon. But anywhere I go in the world, people are like, oh my god, I love your cleansing balm. But I do too. I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan. I use it. And you know, <laughs> we sat around the table next door there, <laughs> and I remember them saying, we were on the 33rd formula. Wow. And they were like, we've got a problem. We can't scale this up. We, there's an ingredient in there that's just, we can't get enough of if this is going to get big. And we had to go back to the drawing board and keep working on it and keep working, which is very LMS and it's very tedious for a lot of people who are like, we want to launch now. We're like, we just can't scale this up. But we're very, very tenacious and we, we believe genuinely in never compromising. And just remember getting that final formula and signing it off. Um, but you know what, I think we never genuinely believed that it was going to be so big. You know, and then it was like, well, we'll bring out another flavour, we'll bring out the rose, we've got our beautiful organic roses being grown in, in Herefordshire by an amazing female farmer, and she, you know, we could try that, and that's gone really well. And then, oh, you know, actually, we'll do something that's a little bit fruitier, what about the green fig? So just seeing that, that product take on a life mm. um, everywhere in the world. So very, very proud of the, of the cleansing balm and the, the pro-collagen range, really. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember when we first started that and, that, that, and here we are, and that's that now, now in the top ten, you know. Mm. And what's your perspective on ageing as a woman? Because, you know, I think 
well, not just as a woman, as a, as a guy as well, right? Because, yeah. you know, we, we are all, hopefully, if you're lucky enough to live, live a long life, you know, you, we're all going to age, we're all going to get a few wrinkles and aches and pains. No one tells you about this, by the way, <laughs> that it hurts when you get out of bed in the morning. No one told me that would be the case when I was in my 50s. But here we are. But I think there's a lot of pressure, isn't there? There's mm. a lot of pressure on people to look good. And in particular, I think for women to look good. And, you know, age, sometimes we're, we're quite derogatory about ageing, where yeah. actually, beauty at any age I think is it should be the message but where do you stand and how do you help women and men feel good about themselves even if their bodies are changing their mm. face is changing and, and yeah. you know that side of it because I think it's it's important you know the whole mindset and the mm. how we feel about yeah. ourselves affects us so much I mean I think it's a very individual thing isn't it I mean personally um you know I feel genuinely that I, I just want to age as naturally as possible. Mm. So, you know, I've never had Botox, I've never had anything invasive. Um, and I see young, really young girls, and, with, and on my travels I'm hearing things like, you know, people changing the shapes of their noses and their eyes and uh, making opening up the eyelid, and, and I'm like, wow, you know. And for me, the thought of even Botox, which is poison, you're putting that into the skin and it's almost stopping anything moving. I'm like, I, I, the biology of my body is about feeding it well, nurturing it. So to me, it's about one, drinking a lot of water, because I know that makes all the difference. Two, getting good quality sleep, which I'm not brilliant at, but sleep is, is that healing. And, and the third thing is exercise. Genuinely feel that exercise regular not doesn't have to be like full-on but just regular exercise you know my mother has aged naturally all her life uh, my mother-in-law's 96 and has got the most incredible skin so I I love the fact that age as you grow older age aging should be about beauty you know you want to have show that you've lived a bit so I know that when I'm looking after myself well, if I'm exercising well, eating well, and applying my product regularly, um, that I feel a lot better about myself mm. and I feel younger in myself. I mean, I, I still sometimes have to pinch myself that, you know, because we work with really, you know, a young team. So I probably still think I'm in my 30s every, or every day. And I still cycle with the girls around Ireland and we do 100 kilometres a day and I do go, oh gosh, that is a little bit achy now. But, <laughs> you know, I feel still that I can do everything that mm. I did when I was 30. Mm. Um, you know, next year I'm planning to go and see my friend in, in Nepal to go and, you know, do some, I don't know whether we'll quite do Everest Base Camp, but, you know, just still push myself physically. Mm. So I think for me, age ageing is very much about natural ageing, but doing it as in, the, in, in that you feel well, good about yourself. Mm, yeah. um, but I know, if it, you know the next generation probably has a very different viewpoint because they are just bombarded by imagery on TikTok and Instagram. And it almost, you know, there's, you can put, you know, you can make your skin look just by putting a new sort of like frame on there, you know, what, what do you call it? A filter. A filter. Think, yes. And you, things disappear and I'm like, oh my God, it's not even like, you know. But I, I hope that where possible we keep a little bit more of the sort of the natural mm. natural aging because that's life, isn't it? Of course it is. Absolutely. Yeah. That's experience. It's yeah. experience on this face. 
exactly. <laughs> Fun, tragedy, <laughs> happiness, it's exactly. all going on. It's all and going actually, on. to me, ageing is a mindset. So, you know, yeah. I want to feel young. I want to feel still that I'm learning and I'm as inspired. And that for me is what keeps me young. So I, it's more of a how I feel as opposed to how I look. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's great advice, isn't it? And surround yourself with the right people, mm. with people that aren't going to lift you up or learn something new or, to know, I think you're right. You know, if you feel like you're either growing or dying, right, yeah. it's like a plant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you're going to be nurtured, haven't you? You've got to water those seeds if you yeah. want things to, to, to flower. And uh, I, I think life's a full, a big adventure, right? Yeah. And every day is a school day. So yeah. I, I really, I agree with you. I think it's, a lot of it is, not not almost don't put a number on it yeah should be irrelevant um but when it comes you were talking about being um a working mum yeah and having such a supportive partner husband when growing you know your kids were going up three boys right three boys yeah how did you deal with that presumably the boys are older now and they're they're kind of you know doing their own thing nearly more or less nearly. nearly um did you struggle with 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 the with this whole sort of working mum gill or were actually you just kind of look at it as a team and go well you know <laughs> together husband wife family life you know we're all doing mm. we're both doing our bit we're all doing yeah. our bit and therefore you know you didn't struggle with the with the the guilt syndrome because a lot of women feel this tension don't they between you know am I a good mother can I be a good businesswoman yeah. I mean I think we were we were both working full time with my first one. And I remember like, you know, keeping in touch days, one day a week, one day a month, then coming back after four months, <coughs> excuse me. And um, we did two years of both working. Mm-hmm. And my eldest was in the nursery from half seven till half six. It was the one with the longest hours. This poor little kid. Are you picking up? Am I picking up? Oh my God, the traffic's awful. You know, it was very stressful. And for various reasons, one day my husband said, I'm going to give up my job and uh, I'm going to look after Jamie. And we always say, God, it all changed because suddenly we were eating better. You know, he was picked up earlier. And our, even though from an income point of view, it put, puts a lot of pressure on you as, as, a, as the, the only person you know, earning money, you suddenly realise that you have a better quality of life. And we were like, we, would never, we were never the type of people that would wanted to live in nanny, which a lot of people do, mm. and that's fine for some, but we didn't have the space and we, we didn't really want that. So we really did feel we were eating better, we were less stressed. And I always had this real sort of, you know, we will go to every single sports day, play, I will not, and even here at LMS, I will say to every mother, do not miss. Do not miss. Now, I mean, there's the odd birthday that I have missed because I was on a plane. Um, and, you know, my son's like, oh, you weren't here for my birth, my first birthday. But, you know, pretty much all their sports days, all their plays, all their, you know, schools, feedback sessions, I, I made sure I was there. Um, and, you know, my husband gave up his job and continues to support them. And they're still, you know, when you think your children are growing up, they still need you some, somewhere along the line. Um, and he's a great cook and he's very organised. He, he has continued to enrich his life through voluntary work. So he's very involved in 
in rugby and he supports, he's just starting up um, female Middlesex rugby support group and you know that's fascinating on, on Tuesday we were listening to uh, an expert talking about hormones in sports athletes, female sports athletes and he was introducing this doctor to these young girls who are 15 and you know I was like wow this is so interesting mm. how an athlete who how their hormones obviously it's going to be times when they're feeling exhausted and you know it was taking out the you know let's talk about periods with all the coaches there and the coaches weren't to leave they were to be there so you know he's really empathetic and he's very you know he brings something different to our lives and I admire him for you know filling his days with not being paid but giving back to so many things you know he's chair of governors at schools over the last 10 years and he's also a chair of a charity that is connected to my son who has, has a very rare sleep disorder and helping other families who've been through that and we're, we're at the other end of it but there's other people going into that and that's that in itself you know you you know right at grassroots level what that felt like as a parent and feeling so helpless and now we're helping other people so so I feel the balance is as what it's worked mm. I probably still work too hard in his opinion and I sometimes feel I'm not present the brain is always on always on yeah. and I'm a quite a perfectionist in everything I do so everything has to be either done properly or you know so if, it, if I have to stay up till one in the morning doing something I will less so now because I just find getting exhausted yeah. I can't do it I have to get my sleep but um, you know I think you just have to choose you know what works best for you as a family mm. but I would say you know I've got three very different boys um, I would hope the I know they're very proud of me um, but I think they've all learned a lot from what I've been doing and they've you know not that they're ever going to go jumping into the beauty business mm. you know they're, they're all doing their very much their own careers um, but I think it's been um, I think that the, they've learned a lot through what I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know when you were talking earlier on, you said when you went travelling, you were talking about your journey, and you went travelling and you were like, I'm not really into money, I don't, that's not my thing. Do you ever pinch yourself and go, my gosh, you know, collectively with the other founders, yeah. we've created a business with a valuation yeah. in 2019, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of $900 million? Yeah. yeah. I mean, say it again. Yeah. $900 million, you know, I mean, that is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely incredible. I think when you're in it, you don't necessarily kind of live it, if you know what I mean. Did you know it was going to be that big? Did you did you have a vision, a big vision at the start? Or did it just <laughs> did, was it just over evolution over time, the business scaled, and then before you knew it was another zero no, on the yeah, end? I think, you know, again, from my point of view, it was always about delivering the most amazing product. And mm. it was very much at the hardcore end of it. And Sean was very much, you know, at the revenue and sales and, you know, the b belief that this brand, can, you know, that billion dollar brand. Mm. Um, but now looking back on it, I'm just like, wow, that is quite incredible. We did all you right. Know, we've, we've done okay. <laughs> and who'd have ever thought, you know. But someone said the other day, you know, it, we've been living it. And when you're living it, you're not really, you don't really, you're not looking at it from the outside. You're in it every day. Yeah. Every day there's something 
that is new or you're, you're in and you're immersed in it, that you don't necessarily come out to go, let's look at this from the outside. How's this? Wow, that is amazing. I mean, I do remember seeing it in the press going, oh, wow, that's just incredible. Yeah. Um, but also just very proud that we could continue working as co-founders within you know, a brand and continue to really feel that we're we're, we're still part, very much part of that. Mm, yeah, fantastic. Mm. And has the financial side of it changed you as a person? Are, are you still, you know, are you still that, that person black, backpacking around Thailand and learning yeah, I mean, it was 100% owned by the private equity, which I suppose people find that, you know, so, you, you know, they lots, lots of them bought the whole thing. Yes. And yes. it was 100% sold to them. Mm. So, you know, to a certain degree, we, you know, we, we still... You know, Noella is a single mother. I'm the only person earning. And, you know, you've got three children mm. that all need education. And, you know, they seem to be in education for a long time. In fact, all three of them have come home again. I'm like, what? That's not meant to be the case. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you know, I'm definitely not in that mode where I can afford to retire and just sit on an island in the <laughs> Bahamas and go, wow. I don't think you'd ever I've want done to do well. that, though. I couldn't you see know. you doing that anyway. <laughs> no, no, so I'd, I'd need to continue working and, you know, I, I, no doubt sort of evolving, you know, what, we, what we're doing at LMS and mm. how we can continue to shape it and, and what role we bring to it in terms of... In, for, for me, it's very much about maintaining the quality of the product, expanding the, the CSR... Um, achieving the 1%, so the 1% of revenue, we're on a trajectory to, to try and achieve that 1%. And what will that be? What could, what 1% of a big business is a lot of money that you can give back to society. Yeah. And actually, that will be a whole learning curve of like, how does that work? You know, is it a foundation? Is it, you know, locally, what charities are you looking at versus globally? Should there be a global charity? Should there be a local charity? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, over the next probably five years, it's like, okay, this needs a real structure. We need to make sure that this is, uh, everybody is committed to what we're doing. Um, we have to make sure that the money that we're giving back is doing really positive things. And then storytell, obviously, about that. So, you know, it's just the sort of the success of the business as it grows, but also, to Reinhold Geiger's point of view is, you know, business is a force for good. Yeah. We can, that 1%, what incredible things can we do? You know, we were, we were um, just voted rising stars for the Prince's Trust, which was amazing. I mean, we were there with like Microsoft, Sony. I was like, wow, we just won this. Probably because we had this real can-do attitude. And, you know, we, I was cycling from Buckingham Palace to Windsor Castle with the team. And uh, then all, we had all our massage therapists giving 300, 400 massages to all the cyclists. We were raising money. Um, but, you know, one of the staff here said, when we have interns here, they tend to be, you know, friends of friends. So, you know, it's like who you know. Mm. We need to change that. And actually, the Prince's Trust was the first time we were like, we went to our HR and said, we can actually set up a very, you know, somebody that, never would have the opportunity to come and work. And um, we just had an amazing intern in. And she was, you know, I think it's a very uh, 
family orientated feeling so you know people do feel welcome and they feel safe and I bumped into her in reception I said how's it going and she said it just feels cozy here Aww. and I thought I suppose you know where I don't know much about her background but she was here and she felt yeah safe yeah you know and these people care and they will nurture and they will look after you and make sure you're learning and she was amazing and actually, it was a bit of a test to see whether this was the right thing for us to do, to bring external people in that we know nothing about. But actually, the, you know, they're vetting you and you're vetting them. And now we will open that up to the Prince's Trust that we will continue to probably take on it. We'll try, I'd love to bring on at least 20 a year. Mm. And they're doing the same. Erin in America is doing the same in America. So, yes. you know, so giving people opportunities. So I think, you know, the, the next plan is... is, is it's, it's getting that balance of giving back as well mm. as being a successful business. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, actually, I do a lot with the Prince's Trust as well. So oh, really? in, in Wales, so I'm interviewing Sarah Jones, who's the CEO of Prince's Trust in Wales oh, next Tuesday. So, um, yeah, because they have their enterprise network as yes. well, right, for yeah. helping young people start yeah. businesses. So I uh, do quite a lot of work there. So we have yeah. a common a common um, oh, interest there. Amazing. as well. It's an amazing organisation, mm. soon to be rebranded as the King's Trust. Yes, I know. Which is exciting as well. So, um, yeah, watch this space but I think what you've achieved is just phenomenal you personally the business the teams you've created mm. and and literally you are helping people be the best version of themselves mm. make them feel good about themselves you yep. know and and I think that's just joyful it really is and you know everything you're doing with sustainability and the planet is just phenomenal so you should feel rightly so proud oh, really. I do I do feel proud yeah fantastic <laughs> and over the years you'll have had loads of advice I'm sure. Yes. Um, and I'm going to come to back to my other question shortly about, I'm going to ask you what your word for the year is. But before I do that, I'm mm -hmm. going to ask you what the best piece of advice is that you've received over your illustrious career in life so far. Any standout advice for you? Well, I had a good think about this. And, and it's something that we share, actually, in our family. And it was have no regrets. You know, it's very easy to go, you know, think of the negatives and things happened and why and you know there's been many a time where I might have been really upset by someone's decision or you know I'm quite sensitive but actually everything is in my life I always think everything does happen for a reason and I can look back and go okay that might have been a bit rocky but I don't regret it because I'm I am where I am now mm. so you know have no regrets and I think you know I always try and think ahead for the future. There's just no point in dwelling on anything that's negative from the past. So if you don't regret anything that's happened, and just thinking about the future, you, you can be in a really positive mindset. Mm, yeah, and your energy really screams that, actually. You know, every, mm. everything you're talking about is forward, momentum, growth, what next, yeah. giving back. Yeah. It's all forward. Yeah. Um, and we've had a bit of reflection today as well around how that's helping you move forward. Yeah. I love that. And I asked you well, before we press record what your word for the year was going to be and I said you can only have one or it might be slightly double barreled um, <laughs> that's allowed that's allowed um, but yeah it's been a big a big year every year is a big year right yeah. but um, if you were to describe this year in one word <laughs> what would it be and why oh well yeah that was a that was a tough one and actually we've just put it down to one word which is roller coaster yeah. Um, I, it, there's been some massive highs and there's been some massive lows 
but for me it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster. And I think it's really interesting. I think many people post-COVID, they're exhausted. We have been, let's face it, as people and leaders in business, we have had a tough old time. You know, when you're literally survival, how's this business going to survive? You know, survival and other people's lives and keeping alive and family alive and, you know, getting through it and then coming out the other end and rebuilding and, you know, seeing, you know, there's certain areas that have to be rebuilt that completely fell to pieces and some bits that hang on in there. And so for me, I'd say this year has been a real roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Definitely some highs and lows, but uh, I feel that I'm ending the year on a high. Well, that's good to know. And also, we will have to do a follow-up interview because I know there's lots of other things that are going to be coming down the track for you as well. So we yeah. will have to do a follow-up in, in terms of what's the next chapter, what's the next phase. Yeah. Um, and the podcast, mm -hmm. three three Bs, three big three big yes. words: brave, bold, brilliant. And you've given some really fabulous examples of bravery, in particular mm. referencing your your grand grandmothers on both sides of yes. the of the family and your, your grandparents. But for you, when you hear that as a phrase, what, what does it mean to you? I mean, look, I love the three Bs. If I could uh, just live my life being brave, bold and brilliant, that would just be amazing. And maybe I do, but I don't realise it. You know, to me, bravery is... I never think of myself as being brave because those two women were brave. And that was more about the situations they were in and what they did. And that was bravery in its utmost, you know. And, and bold and brilliant, you know, I suppose being bold is, is being strong in yourself that, you know, you're making the right decisions and sometimes they don't, maybe not, might not be quite right, but being bold that, you know what, I'm going to go to COP on my own and I'm going to go and do it. I can do this. And that's just building your confidence and, and I feel that, you know, I went there and I did a brilliant job <laughs> and it took a lot of energy and positivity and, but I felt really I had to a strong message to get out there so you know I mean I always like to do everything brilliant but that, that that's exhausting too you know because it's perfection and but again I always talk about progress over perfection because you know what we can't not everything can be perfect, so just keep moving the dial, keep moving the dial. Um, but I, I love, I love the name of it, I, the title of it. I think um, it's a very positive um, and empowering title. That. Oh, well, it has been amazing chatting with you. It really has. I can't wait to see what's next. <laughs> you've, you've got me gripped for the next chapter. Um, so we will definitely have to do a follow-up, Ariel. But thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.